EOS Worldwide is running their first EOS launch event in London on the 2nd of April at the Dorchester. You will learn a simple way of operating a company that's helping thousands of entrepreneurs and leadership teams around the world get a grip on their business. Mike Payton, the author of Get a Grip, the fable of the phenomenally successful book Traction, was a recent guest on the podcast, and he had one of the most downloaded episodes so far. So make sure you get your tickets soon. To get your tickets, go to eos.eventbrite.com. The link is also in the description. That's eos.eventbrite.com. This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Guy Vienk is the global CEO of Analog Folk, a 300-person digital creative agency with offices in London, New York, Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Sydney. You may have heard of one or two of their clients, Nike, Diageo, BT, Tommy, Unilever, just, just go down the list. He was formerly managing director of AKQA New York, then VP of International. He joined the agency when they just had 20 people. He then went on to open 10 offices and has worked with some of the most iconic brands of the last 20 years. They sold the agency to WPP for this small number of just 500 million. Uh, he then became the CEO of Publicis UK, where he really had his toughest test to date, you know, working with a portfolio of five different brands who had their own way of doing things, didn't really want to play nice. Publicist was losing a huge amount of money at the time. And he says that if it was a private business, it would have closed probably a very long time ago. And how he turned around that company was is really a remarkable achievement. This is truly a masterclass in getting people to align around a common vision and using your EQ, emotional intelligence, not your IQ, to turn around a failing business. If you are remotely interested in anything to do with how to turn around failing businesses, how to win new business, the crisis of innovation in marketing, and the difference between running a small agency and much, much, much larger ones, you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. So without me keeping you in suspense any further... My conversation with Guy Vienk. Guy Vienk is the global CEO of Analog Folk and the former CEO of Publicis UK, the third largest communications firm in the world, where he led the transformation of the UK's broad client offering, during which the business won some of the biggest clients from the last decade. In 2017, he led the Heineken business globally, taking overall ownership of all publicist group media, creative and technology agencies working across 100 plus markets to deliver a mobile-led digital strategy. Before joining publicist group, he spent 17 years at AKQA, building the agency globally. During his time, the agency trebled in revenue, opened five offices and won over 300 major awards, including... 18 Agency of the Year titles. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Guy Vyank, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Uh, thank you, Nathan. Uh, that's quite an introduction. So uh, delighted to be here and uh, yeah, just delighted to catch up. Well, most importantly, have I pronounced your surname correctly? 
Not bad. Okay. Not bad. It's the Enk, but the leave Enk. it as Guy. It's okay. a lot easier. <laughs> don't worry, I've been called far worse. <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the show. You, you've you had a fantastic uh, career and, and background. We'll get into that in a, a lot more detail a little bit later. But you start your working career as a professional windsurf instructor before becoming a researcher for Capital Radio in 1995. That's not the typical background of a $10 billion CEO of Publicis, is it? <laughs> no, maybe not. But I did have a good suntan, I guess, which was a good starting point. <laughs> sure. So, uh, But equally, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, there were some things I learned in that time. And, uh, you know, you, uh, you're effectively running a business. I was running, running a water sports business. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I needed to make sure we uh, were profitable and we had some happy clients. So there are some loose similarities, but I will admit they're pretty loose. <laughs> yeah. What What did the Capital Radio experience give you in 1995? Yeah. Uh, gosh, that was what I mean. Again, great place to work. We, yeah. You know, have really good memories. Um, and it really taught me the importance of data, really taught me the importance of insight. But I guess, you know, I guess the most important thing is it taught me how to use data to uh, push a point of view or an argument. Mm -hmm. So my role there was to effectively write the sales presentations for the sales team. So I would have to convince, for example, a hair care product why radio was right. And I'd have to do that through data. So some good right. learnings there. And we I had a great time. There. Uh, really, really interesting. Well, you've your experience ranges from sort of smaller agencies to sort of some of the largest in, in the world. And we'll get into that uh, in more detail a little bit later, because you set up your own agency recently as well. Um, you fast forward a few years, you joined AKQA in 2000, which was the start of a 17 year career. Uh, you held senior roles from account services director, managing director of the New York business and VP of international. Um, and you were at the company really at the beginning of its growth. I think there were roughly 20 people there at the time. Talk us through what the company was like in those early days and what role did you have in what the company eventually became? Yeah, thank you, sir. Yeah, it was a, a great place actually. And uh, I remember my first day I, um, I, I got there and uh, I thought I was going to work on one piece of business. I ended up working on another and I sat next to this really nice chap and he said, you must be important because you, um, I've been told to set up your machine for you. So I guess, right. you know, it really was at the early days. We, huh. um, you know, there were about 20 of us uh, and it was an amazing environment. Yeah. And, and, and again, I, I try and always look at these things and say, what will I take forward? Because when you change roles, you have a really good opportunity to reinvent who you are and review how you approach things. So I'm always looking to um, improve or optimize. And I think, you know, AKQA, whilst we didn't realize it, maybe in the early days, uh, it was a very empowering environment. You would just set yourself a goal and you, if you delivered it, you know, the, the organization just let you move forward. Um, so it was very, very empowering and, and great fun and led to some uh, amazing experiences. Hmm. Reverse side of that, I think you also have to remember with a lot of these things, it's about timing. And um, the agency was just at the right time. It had the right leadership. 
Um, yeah, right time, right, you know, right place, basically. Hmm. So when you say right time, what do you mean? What, what winds were changing either yeah. business environment? Yeah. Why was it the right sure, time? Sure. Sure. So, I mean, it, this is, God, I'm really showing my age here. So this is, you know, this is kind of pre modems, you know, pre board well, modems were obviously around, but it was pre uh, broadband and we we're all waiting for broadband. Pre broadband. So, yeah. A long no. time ago. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Should just erase it from my memory. But um, so you know, but there was definitely a shift, and you got to remember we were moving in. You know, it was the it was the dot com kind of boom mm. kind of period. Mm. So there was a lot of activity in the market, a lot of people looking forward, and you know, whilst a lot of those businesses went under, you know, when the when the bubble burst, mm-hmm. if you look at a lot of those ideas, they're relevant now. So. Sometimes it's just about getting the right business, getting the right shape at the right time. And, and AKQA was just uh, perfectly poised. It had good people. It's an empowering environment. And it was very focused. Hmm. It was very, very focused. And you said the leadership was important. What, what, was the, what were the important characteristics of the right leadership team? Um, so, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it later. But if I look at the... You know, the approach to creativity, Mm. ideas could come from anywhere. You know, it was a very inspiring environment. You know, ideas didn't have to just come from one department. Mm. It was a kind of open and collaborative environment. And I'm sure it still is. I I haven't worked there for a long time. Mm. And, um, yeah, we just, you know, it was just, it was was good fun, you know. And at the end of the day, we're a bunch of people having a lot of fun Mm. trying to turn the world upside down. It was great. So just on AKQA, I mean, you know, few of us will get to work in a company that's growing at that kind of speed. Describe what it was like growing in a business that fast and how do you make sure that the wheels don't fall off? Yeah, great question. Well, first of all, the wheels did nearly come off a few times because, you know, and and again, that's fine because they didn't and uh, it Mm. showed we were pushing things. And whilst you're nervous and you feel a bit uncomfortable, uh, you know you're doing a good job. Hmm. Um, the other thing is we did work really, really hard. But again, with the benefit of hindsight, I, I don't think we realized we were making big decisions that we were actually making. So hmm. maybe we were blissfully unaware hmm. of uh, the decisions we were making because it was very logical. But uh, it was a very empowering environment, as I said before. And ultimately, it was you, you always felt confident. So you knew if you walked into a room and all five people said we could do something, deep down you knew by hook or by crook you could make it happen. Huh. It's a great feeling to have. Quite quite fascinating. AKQA was more of a, an ad agency at the time when you were initially sort of working there. And then you helped it become a digital agency over over that time. I imagine that kind of change would be a little bit that sort of big change would be met with some resistance or fear from the people that are already there. How, how did you manage that transition? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, we have to be clear on geography there. So um, AKQA in London was always a digital agency, but AKQA in San Francisco was originally uh, a through-the-line agency. Right, okay. Citroen, Allegham and Bedekere. Uh, and again, to Tom Bedekere's credit, he, he realized the future was in digital services and um, replaced, you know, he, he was the founder and he replaced the name, you know, above the door and replaced it with AKQA. So 
a lot of respect to him. He saw the future in digital. And then we just had to work together on changing the the way the agency worked, changing the approach, you know, evolving the people, not changing everyone, but mm-hmm. just changing a few roles. You have to be patient. And, and again, I think I learned that. And Tom was very, uh, very, very good to me in that, in that I was a little bit, you know, I was young, I was quite aggressive. And mm-hmm. it just, you know, taught me to take it a bit easy, listen to others and evolve the product offering. And that's exactly what we did. Really interesting. So talk a little bit about the business environment that you were operating in at the time, because you said it was the early 2000s, huge amount of entrepreneurial spark and ambition and sort of just uh, sort of exuberance around that sort of time. So many companies were being set up, a lot of tech companies being set up and a huge amount of VC money was being thrown at them. And subsequently we we realized that um, a lot of people actually lost lost their money. But what sort of businesses were you generally working with? Um, were these sort of high, uh, you know, VC-backed tech startups? Uh, were they sort of more traditional bricks and mortar businesses, uh, retail businesses, etc.? Talk about the business environment. Sure. Well, I guess you again. You have to be careful which market you're talking about at any one time huh. because different offices are in different levels of maturity or they might have different client base or whatever. So I, when I went to San Francisco, uh, I arrived just as the, uh, at the bubble had burst. So it was a pretty, uh, it was a very tough business environment. And so we pivoted the business very effectively and we did double down on um, technology. So Xbox uh, was our first kind of digital advertising win. Um, we also produced the Xbox 360 interface. So we worked with the development team actually building the Xbox 360, which was an incredible experience. So we definitely diversified the business in the US to be more digital. In the UK, uh, during the, the boom years, um, we we were at first we thought we were being really slow because we we're like how how are these businesses spending so much money and how is this all working and we're, we're super busy with the clients we've got so we had a really simple rule and it, it was uh, it's more embarrassing now but it really did stand us very very well when the bubble did burst and it was if our parents hadn't heard of the brand maybe we shouldn't do it and that was it. Okay. So uh, we focused on blue chip clients. Huh. And then, as I said, when the, when the bubble burst, uh, suddenly we saw all of our competitors just fall by the wayside or a large majority of them. Huh. Quite, quite fascinating. The, the company was eventually sold. Thanks, to... mom. <laughs> so, sorry. <laughs> thanks, mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the company was eventually sold to WPP for a reported 500 million. What was it? What was it WPP were looking for in an agency at that time? And why did it make sense for AKQA to sell? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, AKQA had been through multiple transactions. We'd taken uh, private equity funding uh, three times uh, or two times, sorry. And we were just at a point where um, 
we were offered a great opportunity to kind of report in a different in you know we weren't just reporting into a brand mm. and one of you know we weren't going to get consumed by an ad agency or you know another agency we if you were looking at the future of the business you know we were we were hitting a size where we might have to start looking at being publicly traded and that involves a whole level of sure so again i think it was timing um you know the the overall management team wasn't you know i wouldn't say it was my decision at all i was just part of the team um it, it was just the right timing the right price the right opportunity the right reporting structure and uh, you know, I stayed with the long, you know, with the company a long time after we'd sold to WPP. We, mm. we had a great uh, few years with them, and uh, I have very fond memories again of uh, WPP. I thought we were very well treated. Hmm. Quite, quite fascinating. Let's talk a little bit about Publicis Worldwide. You became CEO of uh, Publicis UK in 2015, the third largest communications group in the world. They're a public company, so a completely different level of scrutiny and sort of expectation. Um, uh, and the, they, I think they had revenues of around 10 billion at the time, 11,000 employees. So just a, a, a Goliath. How do you prepare yourself for a job of that magnitude? And what was the transition like? Well, first of all, I got used to working for a you know, a publicly traded company at WPP. So I started, huh. I started that journey with WPP. So I wouldn't say it was totally new. Um, I think the key difference here was, you know, I was turning up in an environment, um, Artur and, and Maurice, Artur Sadoun uh, and Maurice Levy uh, hired me. And the difference was you're not in a growth sector and you're not working in a growth uh, company. And so that, that was the difference, you know, I was very used to just everything growing and then you walk into an environment that is effectively shrinking, uh, I won't say the percentages, but it was, pre, you know, we would, a normal business most probably wouldn't have been in business in a few years. Huh. So it was a very different type of business challenge. And the reason I wanted that challenge was A, you know, my reputation at AKQA had always been go fix problems. And I wanted to see if I could work in a broader creative uh, arena. So what interested me about this job were there were lots of different types of creative companies. And so how do you work with a portfolio of brands? And how do you get those brands to work together so the overall portfolio grows? So it was slightly different. You know, AKQA was a very pure play mm -hmm. brand. It had a set of services. Mm -hmm. And yes, it had, you know, all these things, there some challenges. But working with lots of different brands, not trying to create a new brand on top of all those brands, how do you connect those things, was a very different mental challenge. And uh, very, again, really enjoyable because you really, you know, originally I said, oh, it's super simple. I'm just going to take all the processes that I've learned, hmm. shove them on to all these companies so they all work the same way. And, I, you know, I quickly realized. It didn't work out that way. That it doesn't work like that. <laughs> you know, different cultures, different hmm. ways of working, you know, the, these subtle nuances. Everyone's looking for a simple, quick fix. Hmm. And uh, it isn't about that. It's about. It's really, when you're in those portfolio environments, it's about the importance of EQ. 
Hmm. You know, really understanding what's making things work. How do you get people working together? How do you embrace the fact that diversity is so important? How do you get everyone moving in the same direction? There, there's some complex tasks in there. Definitely. Sounds really challenging. So you mentioned portfolio of five different brands, trying to get them to come together to play nicely uh, was a challenge. Culturally, um, it was a challenging environment. The company was losing a lot of money at the time. And EQ was an important sort of toolbox tool that you had in your toolbox to, you know, to help you. What other tools or strategies did you have, did you employ to help you in that transition? Sure. So first of all, you've got to arrive with a plan. Yeah. Don't, don't just turn up and, you know, fake it. You've got to arrive with a plan, but you've also got to be willing to evolve and change that plan. So, you know, there's some simple things that, you know, work well for me in that role. So the first thing I said to everyone is, look, we know change is needed, but I'm not going to do any changes uh, for two months. And I'm just going to meet everyone and find out what's going on. And I kind of had a feel around what the changes would be, but it just gave me two months in the building to evaluate those changes. Hmm. Um, And then you need to come out with a proposition that makes sense to clients And then we just pushed hard, you know, and the first thing to do was to focus on what I term kind of organic growth. So if you have a client buying a set of services from one agency, how do you make, how do you ensure that they buy it from two or three of your agencies? Um, And, you know, I just doubled down on organic growth because we had really good client satisfaction, um, but not necessarily the market reputation. So double down on the satisfaction, pick one bit of work or two bits of work that will be your heroes for the year. And then uh, you make the agency famous around those two bits of work. Hmm. Quite, quite fascinating. So you're a new CEO, you come in with a plan. Obviously, you say that there are no changes for two months or, or whatever time period that you that you specify. How do you get the rest of the team or the employees or the key management team to sort of buy in to your vision and your plan when you're effectively saying hey what you guys have been doing has pretty much been wrong let's start over let's do it again yeah I mean that's always the challenge and uh um you know sometimes I I admit I've handled it well and maybe not so well but at some point in your mind you have to know like are the are this is this team on or off the bus? And I, I use that analogy. In fact, when I left Publicis, it was my leaving card. <laughs> so, um, but you have to just, at some point, you just give yourself a timeline and force yourself to work to that timeline because otherwise you have a tendency to make excuses. <laughs> so I just said, right, I need this team to be form, you know, a high-performing team. I need a high-performing culture. Um, what's going to stop me? And if people, if I felt people were faking it, or if I felt people were, you know, saying one thing in the room and doing another, I just dealt with it head on and, I, and in a very pragmatic way, not emotional, not shouting, not screaming, just look, if you don't want to be here, then let's have a different conversation because hmm. I've got a three year plan. Either you want to be part of the plan or you don't. Mm-hmm. And actually, when you when you when you talk to people in those sensible ways, they're they're normally fine, you know. And obviously, there's a 
you know, there's a financial conversation around there, but, you know, ultimately we've got to enjoy what we're doing. You know, we've got to enjoy it. You know, we've got to, you know, this is a tough industry. So mm. you've got to enjoy it. You've got to enjoy the diversity. You, you've got to enjoy who you're working with and you have to feel part of a team. So, yeah, it's sad to say it's that on or off the bus conversation. So during your entire time at the company, what was your hardest time at Publicis? Um, so I think when I was executing the plan I had, the the hardest bit is, you know, when you, you know, you have to cut, you know, let's say close a company. Uh, that's, that's tough, you know, because you don't know the individuals in the company, you don't, you you don't know their personal situation. Um, it, it's really, really tough. So obviously that's not enjoyable. But out the back of that, you know, we saw a tremendous success. So I think it was the right thing for the business. But for me personally, very difficult. Um, and I've had to make some difficult calls. You know, you know, we decide the business is going to pivot in a different direction. Then maybe the existing leadership isn't right, and you have to change them. And they're good friends, and they've been working with you for two, three years. Those. Those decisions are, are very difficult and I don't enjoy them, but I'm, I'm able just to com, you know, put things into compartments. Hmm. You, you set up your own consulting company in 2019 called Serum Consulting. What prompted that decision? Yeah, so um, I was at Publicis and, you know, I, going, on, going back to your previous question a bit, uh, what you can't, what you can't, there's no point in worrying about what you can't control. Mm. And uh, there was a, you know, when you have a plan and you can execute your plan, it's fine. But ultimately, at the end of my time at Publicis, we, I was kind of like, look, I want to do this. I feel my job is kind of done. Then, um, you know, I want to go back to my roots, which is effectively, you know, digital innovation. So I left Publicis and our tour was great you know, uh, as was Annette King, uh, it was just a pragmatic conversation. So I decided, right, I've got some time in the garden. What I don't want to do is still be in the garden in six months time <laughs> and not have done anything. Sure. So I said, right, let's just set up a company. Let's set up a, a website. Let's do all the stuff you need to do, all the admin. And then if I never use it because I decide to get a job or I get a job or whatever, then fine. But at least I've done it. So I kept myself super busy for three months setting everything up. And then, uh, again, through, um, you know, through my network and, you know, I, I, I seem to build long lasting relationships with clients. So an old client of mine asked me to help out on a consulting you know, project. And I went, oh, okay, maybe you should do this. And he said, well, will you do it for me? Because, you know, asking for help versus paying someone to do it are two different things. Mm -hmm. And before I knew it, we were up and running and I was building an agency. And uh, Serum was alive and kicking and I had a consultancy working on digital business transformation services. Wow. So what was it like going from the size of a publicist to your yeah, own sort of yeah. consulting firm what having everyone to like? help me do right? everything and to doing do everything myself. by yourself yeah i know god and i thought i was really good at keynote and i suddenly realized <laughs> i wasn't and i had to do it all myself right um no you know again it i don't i think i'm just a positive person so i you know it was good fun mm. 
I, well, it still is good fun because I'm still very involved in it. I just like solving problems. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it, you know, I was in the U S a lot. I was traveling a lot. Uh, I was working really hard, you know, and, and I just worked with people I liked and my network of, uh, colleagues I'd met over the last 20 odd years. Mm-hmm. So I think at one point there were about eight or nine of us and we were just having a good time. We were getting paid well. And, um, I ran a very, very transparent kind of, cause these are, these are my friends and my colleagues. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very transparent kind of partnership agreement. And, uh, yeah, we all had good fun. We all did good work and the client was really happy. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was, it was good, but it was tough. You know, you, you, when you're studying your own thing, when you're doing all your own admin, when you're doing the finances, when you're sending out invoices, yeah. um, yeah, that's <laughs> very busy. Not glamorous. Uh, late at night. Not sexy. Not glamorous. N- yeah. Not at yeah. All. The, the business, the business flight yeah. disappeared straight away. <laughs> all of that stuff, uh, you know, worrying about cash flow. Yeah. But again, you know, you ju- it's just different. I mean, it's empowering in sure. some ways sure. because you're you're doing exactly as you want to do. Um, uh, equally, working in a big company, you know, doing tons of reporting, mm-hmm. you know, loads of that stuff is administrative. Mm-hmm. You know, dealing with all the politics. You know, they so they're pros and cons of both, and individuals just need to decide where they want to be. Where do you prefer? Yeah, great. If you had to choose. So I guess, you know, it kind of leads me to Analog Folk. Hmm. So I I met the team at Analog Folk. They were really impressed with what was going on at Serum. You know, I love the culture. And so, yeah, you know, and they said, look, we'd like to to effectively buy the company and and have you be our global CEO. So I was Wow. Okay. So I've gone from eight people to, you know, 308 in, in, in a, yeah. Well, basically because analog focus about 300 people. Wow, phenomenal. So, um, you know, I, and I think I, bef- I, I definitely enjoy, um, the, you know, the independence that we have. Yeah. Um, I mean, know, it, it, I, it's not a publicist, but it's definitely still a, a very big business. Yeah, it's a big business, but we 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 live with our own results. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I ran, in fact, a board meeting the other day, and we were going through the numbers, and luckily the numbers are great, but I was thinking, wow, if the numbers were bad, mm. I'd just be shouting at myself in mm. the mirror, you know, because it would be like, this isn't good enough. So, sure. you know, it takes a lot of that pressure away. Um because we can just do what we think is right. And if you look at the, the culture of the business, you know, that's very much, you know, you, you can feel it in the organization. So, mm. yeah, I definitely, I definitely prefer being in uh, digitally led companies. Um, and I definitely like, you know, working in, in this kind of more independent kind of environment interesting so let's talk a little bit about analog folk then because you said that in 2009 you became global ceo um your purpose is to help brands use digital technology in ways that make the analog world better give us an example of what that means sure well first of all it was 2019 not nine so oh is that what i said uh, yeah yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. just aging you there 
Yeah, aging me again. I'm talking pre-broadband and now. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, there's a bunch of work. And that's what really, you know, really what I found interesting about Analog Folk. Um, You know, it's, you know, brands are increasingly looking for purpose. It's very well documented. And I feel Analog Folk can really help them deliver on that purpose. So if it's financial literacy, we work with a big bank to help uh, families improve how they manage their money, how they communicate about money with children, how they encourage children to save responsibly. If you look at health, Mm. we're working with one particular client in the US around how do you improve your overall health and well-being, you know, through diet. If it's more training, Nike is one of our clients and we're helping uh, people train better. you look at entrepreneurship and business, um, we've done programs where we've empowered uh, young entrepreneurs to make their dreams come true. So I think there are lots of examples of it around the world. And um, yeah, I'm super excited. The The new business pipeline is really, really strong. Mm-hmm. We've got, as I said, just over 300 people. Uh, six offices and, and a great client list. You know, you've got Nike, BT, Diageo, Tommy Hilfiger, Unilever, and the list goes on. Just going on the list. Pipeline is super, super robust. So what's to love? Phenomenal. So you talk about a new business. Um, how do you think about business development? Is it based on the strength of the brand or uh, direct outreach? How do you think about winning new business? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Really good question, and in, and this I learned a lot of this from publicists actually because at AKQA in the early days we relied on the phone to ring, and our new my personal new business strategy was you know say no once because we'd inc- improve the conversion rate by about twenty percent hmm. if they said oh please, so <laughs> publicists I didn't have that luxury. Um, so that was way more about thought leadership mm-hmm. events. So I'm, I am very, I'm very passionate about brands marketing themselves. Um, I think it's important they bring thought leadership to the, to the fore. Mm-hmm. But equally, they just got to focus on the work. Do good work and everything falls into place. Mm. Yeah? Pick one or two hero case studies. Do great work. You'll hire against that work. That will drive your new business pipeline. Everything is driven around work and i would rather focus on doing great work than worrying about some league table or something like that i think that's a bit of a diversion because you end up you know going, oh they're the top client when it comes to you know top agency mm-hmm. sorry when it's a new business mm-hmm. I have no idea how those league tables are formed sure. because you know uh, I, you know sometimes you can't talk about the win if you're working on a building a new business for a client right you're under you know strict nda so i i'm not uh, for me it's about do great work let the work do the talking for the agency and you will find clients will will gravitate towards that work hmm. quite quite fascinating so thought leadership events uh awards all of those things play a part in sort of building the brand and sort of enabling the phone, the phone to ring, but ultimately it's around doing great work 
um, that enables you to uh, to be seen in the marketplace. That's so. So just to put all of this into the picture, what does a typical day look like for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a tough one. <laughs> is there a typical tough. day? Oh, there isn't. I don't think there is one. No. I mean, uh, you know, it depends what kind of business you're running. So obviously now running a global business, you know, I do a lot of calls with Asia in the morning and uh, a lot of calls with, you know, uh, out, uh, with Amsterdam kind of mid-morning and then late at night with uh, Asia. Uh, sorry, sometimes you have to catch Asia on the reverse side of the, the time zones. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I... I kind of try and do my kind of global stuff two days a week and then focus on the rest of the business stuff uh, the rest of the time. So I wouldn't actually say I have a standard week because it depends if uh, if I'm traveling. I do a lot of traveling. I Mm -hmm. think I did about 35 lights in uh, three and a half months. So that that carbon footprint. yeah, that carbon footprint wasn't great, but it was the only way I could understand the business. So, sure. um, so yeah, so mm. I I can't say I have a, a set routine, uh, but I think I'm I'm not great with routines, and uh, I'm sure you're going to ask me what I'm not so good at, and what, what I'm not great at is just running a process. I'm fine, you know, helping create stuff. I'm I'm fine pitching stuff. I love sell. I love hanging out with clients. I love solving problems. Uh, I'm not necessarily the greatest person at running a process day in day out. Hmm. Well, that leads me on to the next question, actually, because so obviously you've 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 jumping been jumping ahead of you here. Well, you you are jumping ahead of me, but <laughs> this is really good because it's, it, it it all works together. Uh, so AKQA publicists, serum and sort of now analog folks. So from, you know, big agencies to even bigger agencies to your own uh, sort of smaller startup to a, a large agency again. How do you improve your skills as a business leader, as an entrepreneur, as a founder? Where do you go to sort of improve your skills in those areas? Yeah, good question. And um, I think I I do, I'd like to believe I listen a lot. So sometimes people say, hey, guy, you know, you're super blunt. And, and it, I'm only trying to be blunt because I'm happy to be wrong. Hmm. I, I don't think I necessarily have a big ego. It's more, uh, I, I like to draw, I like to draw conclusions from the room. And so I, I find it easier if I'm blunt and then people can say, hey, what about this? And we evolve the conversation from there. So um, I think I, what I've learned is you've got to listen because half the time the people around you are way better at the, at the job in hand than mm. you might be. Mm. So you're paying all these people, you know, you might as well listen to them rather than just stand there, suck the oxygen out of the room and tell everyone what to do for my <laughs> hour so i think i would say that's my approach um i don't know if that answers your question it really it it really does and uh, i can't tell you how many other uh founders and and leaders have said a a very similar thing around listening first and the importance of listening to the room so uh yeah yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more 
Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about the advertising industry. This is a super hot topic right now, but you know, are we facing a crisis in innovation and creativity? Ad agencies often focus a lot on data, but sometimes they sort of strip humanity from the data. And, and as a result, we have very one-dimensional advertising where we're not necessarily thinking about the consumer all the time. So the question is, has the industry lost that creativity and curiosity? Yeah, great question and a really hot debate in the industry. And I think the, the first thing to do is have a look at the wider context of the marketplace. So if you look at advertising spend per se, I think it grew something like 2.9% last year. People are predicting it will either be flat or slight decline this year, driven uh, primarily by changes in Asia. Mm -hmm. But what is really important is uh, the digital advertising spend now is over 50%. I think that it breached the 50% mark last year. Huh. So whatever happens, you have to have a very good, strong digital uh, uh, proposition. Now, I th when I look at the advertising agencies and how they're grappling with data, um, I, I, I've worked in one. And I think advertising agencies are just having to redefine themselves um, because they're brilliant at brands. They're brilliant at talking about brands. They're brilliant at articulating brand values. Um, but now we're seeing you know, the wider eco marketing ecosystem grow. So I think there is a danger that we just drift down this uh, programmatic kind of route, but then there's more importance than ever on the agencies to create messaging that stands out because you can do it. Hmm. You can do it because brands need purpose. You need to articulate that purpose in the right way and you can do it. You know, Heineken mm -hmm. worlds apart mm -hmm. uh, did, did phenomenally well for Heineken and for uh, publicists as a whole, I think got something like 2 billion impressions and it, the idea was born in uh, in the UK and suddenly went global. It was covered by, you know, CNN. So you Fantastic. can Well, let's talk a little bit about it. that. It's I easy to drift straight into the numbers. You need to use numbers to drive insight as well as measurement. 100%. Well, you mentioned the Worlds Apart campaign. Let's talk a little bit about that because that was a campaign that you were involved in, in Publicis. Um, and that was the social experiment aimed at getting people to focus on the things that unite us rather than the things that divide us. So it was a campaign for Heineken. Uh, and the campaign features sort of real people. It puts pe two people together, strangers meeting for the first time and they are sort of divided by their beliefs. Um, and then the idea was sort of what happens when you bring people together, you know, a feminist and an uh, anti-feminist or a climate change activist with someone who thinks the, uh, the whole idea is just not, not true. Um, yeah. Talk about how that idea came about and, and what impact did it have? You were, you were starting to describe that. Yeah. So um, it's a dangerous you know, it's a dangerous area uh, to play in, you know, right. because, you know, you can, you know, lots of brands have had missteps when they start dealing with uh, political issues. So Definitely. there was just something about it. And it goes back to this nervousness. Earlier in the interview, you were saying, you know, 
the wheels never came off. And I thought, mm. well, they nearly did a few <laughs> times. And we were, you know, we took things to the edge. And I don't know, we just all felt really good. The client was super brave mm -hmm. as well. Um, and it broke so many rules, you know. It was long form. Everyone said, no, do short sure. form. That's sure. the only thing that works. Right. 30 seconds, um, one minute. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and we just, we broke all the rules. We mm. backed ourselves. The client was incredibly supportive. And, um, you know, we, we all invested heavily. I mean, that piece of work, the amount of time and effort it took and the psychology behind it and choosing the people and, you know, huge risks. Um, but you know what? Out of risk come great things, you know. Doing great work isn't always easy. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to be on the edge of the sure. seat. So, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm super chuffed with the results. And, you know, I can talk about the impressions and I can talk about how it was on the news and on the telly and I can talk about how, yeah. you know, um, Perez Hilton and Jennifer Saunders tweeted about it. Oh, wow. But you know what was more important? It was when I came home and I was chatting to the kids and one of my uh, sons said, well, Dad, we were talking about society at school today and they used the Heineken film wow. as part of the syllabus. Um, and you're like, do you know what? We've made a goddamn difference. And uh, so I found that really, really empowering, uh, nerve-wracking, fun, emotional, um, and super chuffed with the results and, and, and super happy for the team. Everyone who can put that on their portfolio uh, hats off to them. Fan fantastic. I, I can't let you go without asking a, a Brexit question and a DNI question as well. Uh, right. So, yeah. so even though we have seen a lot of progress in, in recent years, representation of women and minorities at the highest levels in leadership, especially in the, in the advertising and marketing industry is still lacking. Is the industry doing enough and, and what more can be done? Well, until we have equality and balance, we've not done enough. So there's your answer to the first question. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we, we all, as leaders, we all have to take it very seriously. And, um, you know, there are techniques you can, you can undertake. And even as a smallish business, um, we're, we're doing those, you know, blind CVs, mm -hmm. Uh, th those kind of things very very important mm -hmm. um so you know and, and i'm i'm we're definitely evolving ourselves mm -hmm. um you know we've just uh when's this podcast coming out because we're doing an announcement uh, we're doing an announcement this week and i i don't want to oh, i, I see want to announce something before well, well we've got a new ecd in huh. amsterdam she's amazing Right. Um, we, you know, we're, we're very aware yeah. that we need to, you know, until the job's done, mm. you know, none of us can be satisfied. One, I don't one, really know how, what else to say. Mm. Talk about your biggest managerial challenge today across all of the brands or all of the agencies that you've worked with. Tell us how you handled it. Uh, and how do you think you would have done things differently if you had a second, second go at it? Yeah, so um, I think I would go back to New York hmm. and um, we'd come off the back of winning like 10 pitches in a row. We felt invincible. It was amazing. And then we lost seven on the trot. Oh, wow. And um, I was really like, wow, you know, yeah. nothing's changed. Hmm. 
like is this luck or is you know what is it yeah and um it was easy to start you know questioning stuff you know arguably mm. creating arguments berating the team uh and then we just you know and then i just paused and i went you know what we just got to we just got to ride this through. And, you know, it was tough on the PL. There was loads of pressure. Mm. Um, but ultimately, just riding it through, communicating with the team, backing ourselves. You know, we won the next seven, I think it was, huh. and we came out okay. So I, I guess, it, you know, for me, it's like just back your gut. And uh, one one thing I'm, I think I'm good at, and as I, as I told you before this, I, I don't often uh, – blow my own trumpet that much but i'm i'm pretty i kind of set a broad target of what i want mm. for for the business i'm working in and mm -hmm. we normally get there <laughs> now if you get there via route a b c doesn't really matter as long as you get there mm -hmm. uh so for me it's like look back yourself you you know you're gonna have some hardships if you if you change your way to getting to your end goal, don't worry about it. Focus on the end goal. <laughs> Final question before we get into our favorite questions. Sure. This is the the Brexit question. Uh, <laughs> finally, uh, we have you know we we have a conclusion, and it just seems as though you know for 2019 there were so many clients that were putting things on hold, or there was lots of sort of indecision um, that was happening. And I, I don't know whether maybe you can speak about some of your clients and sort of what. What, what you were seeing in 2019, but talk about how the world has changed um, for you and your clients now that we know what we're doing with Brexit. And um, yeah, what are you what are you seeing at the moment? Sure. Um, God, where do you start with that broad thing? So a super painful process for the entire country, I think. Uh, super divisive topic. Um, and you know, 50% of the population go one way or 47, 48, and the rest go the other. So very marginal. So it, it's been painful for the country in terms of what I've seen. I saw a lot of nervousness back end of last year, mm -hmm. second half of last year, a lot of uh, clients, no, no one taking a position, which again, I don't, no one knew how to take a position, sure. but a lot of people, um, managing risks so effectively you know moving um moving people into uh, amsterdam etc etc so we've seen a lot of activity in amsterdam if you look at amsterdam generally the reason we we've jumped in with both feet is huge amount of growth there uh, super chuff for the you know for the team i think we're working with five of the top like 10 spenders in the market already and we've only been around for a couple of months yeah. so yeah you know definitely some people hedging in the background but no one wants to do anything publicly but now the decision's being made it seems like this 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 cloud has been lifted right. i mean business is very is very buoyant at the moment uh, q1 has been amazing hmm. uh so i feel like you know the industry you know generally people have got swagger and now there's a definitive answer I do believe the UK needs to be a little bit careful. I do believe we, um, you know, we need to ensure that the UK remains a creative hub rather than just a local market. 
Um, and, you know, we'll see how that kind of manifests itself over the next, you know, a couple of years, because ultimately I can only control what I can control. Hmm, sure. Guy, I, I know I've only got you for a few more minutes, so let's get into everyone's favourite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. Um, and they oh usually, dear, the pressure's on. <laughs> the pressure is on now. Got some high flyers in there. So we have, like, we yeah. have. and uh, But they're usually quite revealing, these questions anyway. These are more sort of personal questions, I would say. Uh, tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. When I failed. Um, so uh, I failed to win a, a, a good few pitches. Mm -hmm. And um, I've decided now, if I'm not going to win a pitch, just please don't come second. <laughs> so either win it or miss by a mile. By a mile. A close <laughs> second as well. It's the worst. Close second is the worst. You place are almost to be. there. So, I hate clients that yeah, say that. Yeah. So, you know, my, my brief to the teams mm. is now look, just, just, just again, mm. win it or, or come last. Mm. Just, uh, just go for it. Tell us who some of your early mentors were. Who influenced the way that you think about marketing, the way you think about growing businesses and entrepreneurship? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, we were chatting about this briefly earlier, and I think one of my, my learnings or one of my failings is uh, my mentors, I don't think I ever tell them they're my mentors. <laughs> and so uh, um, I have had a lot of sound bites. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Tom Bedecray, uh was a, an amazing uh, person and um, had a high degree of in, in integrity. Uh, M.T. Carney, um, you know, she was at Naked. I met her at uh, Amirati Purus Lintas. I learned a huge amount from her. Um, you know, and there's little sound bites that really mm. spring to mind, you know, from a client services point of view, it was, I remember someone saying to me once, stay close to revenue. Mm. And, uh, and I, I kept that with me ever since. Um, because it's not only staying close to the money of your clients, but it's also staying close to clients. So even in this role now, I, I, I don't try and meet all of our clients because I, I physically can't. Mm -hmm. But what I do try and do is make sure I make a difference to five clients. And those five clients will change, but I always try and make a difference, a positive difference, not throwing the team under the bus. It's more about stay, you know, stay close to the work. Don't titles, just ignore them. You know, at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, you know, when it comes to client activity, I don't mind being the account executive, writing minutes, you know, just do what you need to do. Hmm. Stay close to the work, stay close to the client, stay close to the revenue. Makes makes perfect sense. The books question. This is everyone's yeah. favorite question. This is the question that I get most emails about and LinkedIn messages. What was the what was the book that that um that that person mentioned again? So, no pressure we're here with this question. Yeah, tell us tell us about some of your favorite books. Uh fiction, okay. non-fiction, whatever. Well, you've got to imagine I was at home starting a business, so I was listening right. to a lot of audio books. Sure. So I, 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 I reviewed it. Well, I went through a load of books last year. 
So I, maybe I need to categorize them. Right? I don't necessarily have a favorite, mm. um, but uh, I, I really enjoyed Shoe Dog. Um, Great you book. know, the Nike story. The Nike story. Uh, I, yeah, I, I really cried. enjoyed that. I actually cr- yeah. cried at the end of it. Yeah. So good. I mean, you know, an amazing story, always on the edge. You know, sadly, some terrible personal tragedy. Uh, yeah, great, great book. I enjoyed that. Mm. Uh, I enjoyed, you know, from an educational point of view, you might not believe but everything he writes, but Scott Galloway's The Four I thought was oh, quite good. Okay. That was. I haven't um, read it. Yeah, but I love Scott yeah. Galloway. All the stuff he does. Yeah, he's a personality and a half. Yeah, I love he his is. I mean, the Pivot podcast. If you don't listen to it, you should do. Yeah. Um, then what else? Everyone lies is really interesting everyone when you look lies. at the power of data and what you know. Everyone lies to everyone, but you don't lie to Google because huh. you search for what you search for. So if you want an interesting, thought-provoking hmm. book around data and statistics, Everyone Lies. And but, if you just want to have a few laughs, yeah, I Can't Make This Up by Kevin Hart. <laughs> He's just <laughs> a funny guy. So if you want to switch off, if you're a bit depressed about That's what a bit people different. search for on Google, right. go for Kevin Hart. Okay. Okay. All right. You that's that's a very eclectic uh sort of yeah. uh, variety of, of books. You can um, tell. I'm in different moods for different yeah, things. Sometimes really learning, sometimes relaxing, yeah. sometimes I don't know. What's what's been the biggest takeaway from Everyone Lies for you? Uh well, great question. Um the <laughs> well, basically everyone lies. Uh yeah. so um I think it, it kind of just demonstrates social media behavior. So effectively, you know, and it's well more digital behavior, you know, don't, don't believe what you see. Mm. Um, you know, everyone paints this incredibly rosy picture deep down, you know, that that's very worrying sure. for me because, you know, you only have to look at mental health issues in the younger, you know, generation. And, and it's terrifying mm. because, you know, this, this, this fake story is it's it's a huge issue for mm. society so um but yeah just i don't know i don't know if i know just like the weird things people search <laughs> different cultures it's worrying different, really yeah I, and again there's I, I i'm worried about talking about some of the topics because they're yeah. quite uh, okay edge, you know the way they um mix data sets between uh for example porn sites and google searches and huh. just just it, it's quite it's quite uh enlightening okay <laughs> that's, that's a word for it search for different things but again that's, that's suddenly making myself sound uh, very good <laughs> It's just very ins- insightful, yeah, insightful how the the truth of what we're looking for is very different to the truth that we all talk about. Okay, it's it's added to the list. Thank you very much for that, as well as Kevin it's Hart's book. My pleasure. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. Leave that to that. That's, that's listen to that in the car. All right. What's the Thank most interesting? What's the most interesting thing that people don't know about your background? Oh, wow. Well, now you've told everyone I was a windsurf instructor. You've right. blown that. Right. So uh, <laughs> what don't they know about me? Um, 
well, I'd give away. I, I, you know, I just don't, you don't know. You're an open book. Uh, you you, you I, tell I everyone so. everything, right? Yeah, I think so. I'm okay. a, yeah, maybe maybe that's the problem. Yes. I just say <laughs> you say you say far too much. <laughs> let's let's move on. A- Amazon Prime or Netflix? Oh, Netflix. What are you watching at the moment? That's good. Um. Oh God, I've been. Uh, well, what am I? What um, I'm doing a big binge on Sons of Anarchy. Oh, okay, um, that's a few big, years old now. Yeah, it is a few years old. I went all the way back and just oh, decided wow. to binge. But uh, okay. Ozark, I really liked. Yeah. Uh, that was very clever. Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah, Ozark, I've, I've done that. I mean, Great. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit too addicted to uh, Netflix. <laughs> yeah, enjoy traveling. You just download all the boxes. Yeah. Off you go. Yeah, there you go. Final, final two questions, Guy. Uh, a millennial or young person approaches you and asks for advice to start an agency or get into the agency world. What advice do you give them? Um, just follow your gut. You know, just f- follow your gut. Focus on the work. Keep it simple. Mm. Um, if If people are using loads of jargon, just try and break it down uh, and make sure, God, just make sure you're having a good time, as in working hard, but feel like you're adding value. Because mm. uh, if you give value, if you give energy, th- this is, you know, I, you know, I'm really fortunate. I, I work, you know, I, I, I'd like to believe I, I am very kind of, non-hierarchical i don't even know if that's the right term <laughs> work with anyone but i mm. only work with people who give energy mm. yeah if people always want to take energy suck energy out the room um i'm not interested so give energy you know follow your gut it doesn't matter if it's wrong you know you can evolve you can change and um you don't need everyone says oh you know I have to work at this place for 20 years. You don't need to, you know, you can, you know, you can have four careers nowadays. Mm. So just uh, follow your heart, enjoy yourself, do good work. uh, And, you know, just make sure you always remember that you're not the client. Hmm. Really, really interesting. This has been an absolutely fascinating uh, conversation. And my final question, Guy what does it you know about the world of agencies, brands, entrepreneurship, uh, startups that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? Mm. Uh, importance of cash flow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. What no? What what? Uh, what do I think I've learned? Um, I think I've become a lot more patient. And, um, so I think I was, um, I've mellowed a lot. I think I was, uh, quite aggressive. And, uh, I think the, if you look at the creative industry now, collaborations are more important than ever. Hmm. So in, you know, 20 years ago, it was all about the single individual. It was all about super aggressive. A company smashes the company hmm. that now it's far more around collaborations you see that in the music industry you see it in the communications industry 
So my, my tip to people would be, you know, you don't have to do it all. Uh, find good partners to partner with um, and uh, let the work do the talking. Absolutely fascinating. Guy, thank you so much for doing this. It's absolutely my pleasure. Uh, look forward to catching up again soon, Nathan. We have been speaking with Guy Vianc. He is currently the CEO of Analog Folk. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to 45 such conversations we've had with world-class sales and marketing leaders. Thank you for all your suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Give us a review on iTunes. It helps us more than you know. Write to me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com. We would be unable to do this show without our very own Deal Masters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Genevieve Mageki is our booker slash project manager. Mariam Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. And we're done.